Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is another edition of Locked On NBA Eastern Conference Preview Part 1. I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, host of Locked On NBA, Locked On Jazz, and the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. And that is what's so cool about today's show. I couldn't be more excited about our next four episodes for you. There are going to be two Eastern Conference previews this week, two Western Conference previews next week via the hosts of our great shows across the network. Experts on each team popping in for about five to seven minutes about their club, what the news on it is everything you need to know about your team. And then after they're done with their little breakdown, they're going to answer what the biggest storylines are, what the player is most likely to break out. They're going to answer for you what the best case and worst case scenario for their teams are and the most likely. You'll get a real grasp on who they are. And we've got some really fun guys for you there. When they're done, then I'll jump in. I'll give you my thoughts on the club. And also, for those of you who don't know, I have an offensive rating system that I use to rate every player and team in the NBA. It's called PAC, Points Above Average Created. The idea is if a player uses 10 scoring opportunities a night, what does the average player in the league score out of those, and how does he compare? And I've ranked all of these Eastern Conference teams based on pack, to look at where where their offense should finish. And then we'll look at what they were previously defensively, try to put it together, and I'll give you a little bit of my prediction based on these numbers of where this team's going to come out. And there are some surprises. There are some dreadfully awful offensive teams in the Eastern Conference. And I think you'll be surprised at who comes out as some of the worst teams offensively who I don't think are going to make the playoffs. And I think you'll be surprised about one or two teams I think is going to be really much better than anyone thinks in the Eastern Conference because they are much more efficient than you realize and their coaches can get them to play defensively and I think they'll be solid. So we'll talk about those. So after each one, I'll jump in for you. You can subscribe to the entire Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to the NBA channel and get all of these great guys coming your direction or the NFL channel. And if you haven't found your favorite NBA or NFL team, make sure you do that. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. You can use the promo code LOCKED. Go to casper.com slash LOCKED and insert the vanity promo code LOCKED and you get $50 off your mattress. Casper's really done fabulous stuff. Credible innovation into the mattress world, taking away the middleman, saving you a ton of money. And it's got a great, great latex supportive memory foams that are so comfortable and breathable in the hot weather and terrific uh, throughout the winter for you. So make sure you check it out at casper.com slash locked. Insert the Vandy code locked. I'll tell you more about that coming up on the program. But let's get it started. We're going to go alphabetical today. So who do you got? You're going to get some of the biggest names right out of the chute. Atlanta, Boston, Brooklyn's going to check in. Charlotte, an up-and-comer. Chicago's checking in. Cleveland's checking in. Detroit, and then Indiana. So we'll do those seven for you today on the Locked On Podcast Network's 
NBA preview via Lockton NBA. Let's get it started with the Atlanta Hawks and Brad Rowland. Hello, everybody. My name is Brad Rowland. I host the Locked on Hawks podcast. And uh, today I want to tell you a little bit about the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, for instance, uh, the Atlanta Hawks are a very interesting organization this year. Most of the time, the Hawks are seen as pretty boring around the league. But there are a lot of changes to this year's team, including the headliner. And that is I, I w- what I would say the biggest storyline of the season is for the Atlanta Hawks is that Dwight Howard is back in Atlanta, where he is from. Uh, Dwight's had an interesting couple of years uh, at other stops in the league with Houston and before that with Los Angeles Lakers. But now the Hawks are buying in in a big way on Dwight Howard. And I think that is, uh, he's sort of the centerpiece of everything that the Hawks are going to be doing this season in replacing Al Horford, who is now a member of the Boston Celtics. Uh, Keeping tabs on Dwight will be very interesting. Uh, I think offensively it's going to be a challenge to see how they integrate him on on the defensive end. The Hawks are going to have a few adjustments to make with Dwight Howard and the fact that he's just kind of a different player than Al Horford was uh, before him. So uh, Dwight is certainly at the forefront. And the other big storyline, I think, for the Atlanta Hawks this season is at the point guard position. As Dennis Schroeder, a, uh, a young German point guard who they got late in the first round a couple of years ago, We'll take over the starting reins from Jeff Teague. Uh, Teague has been on, was on the team for almost a decade. And, uh, Teague was a very, very solid player and occasionally a very good player, uh, reaching, reaching the all-star game a couple of years ago for the Atlanta Hawks. And, uh, Schroeder is a, a more unproven, more volatile player. Uh, certainly a guy, a guy with real high upside and skills and athleticism and a, uh, a, and a nice skill set that you want to, uh, build around. But at the same time, his, uh, it's been, Sort of a love-hate relationship with Dennis and during his time for in Atlanta. This is a, a long-term move from the Hawks and trading away Teague to get a first-round pick from the Utah Jazz as a part of a three, uh, three-way deal with the Indiana Pacers in the offseason. And while Schroeder might not be ready, the Hawks absolutely need him to be ready in order to uh, reach their full potential in 2016-2017. As far as the biggest unknown is concerned for the Atlanta Hawks, I think it's probably Schroeder. But aside from that, it's really the fact that Dwight Howard's going to have to be able to fall in line in a way that he basically has not done in other stops. I think uh, the Hawks are sort of famous for their culture and having guys really buy in and kind of just falling in line and doing exactly what the coaching staff wants them to do. Uh, Howard has not really been his strength uh, during at times the last couple of years. So getting him to buy in on both ends of the court, especially on the offensive end where he probably will not be the same sort of focal point as he has been in previous stops. The Hawks kind of play a freewheeling, unselfish brand of basketball that really does not and it's not designed to set up a specific guy to get a ton of touches. Uh, Dwight's used to having the ball a lot in his hands in the post and the Hawks do not really feature that kind of work in the post, uh, at least that straight up post ups, a, a great deal. So uh, Howard's going to have to be unselfish. He's saying all the right things now, but the Hawks are going to be willing to uh, give him a chance. They gave him a three year contract, and we'll see how that plays out. I think the player that's most likely to be thought of differently by the end of the season for the Atlanta Hawks is Dennis Schroeder, uh, for better or worse. I think right now he's sort of an enigma in the fact that uh, I think he has a, an opportunity to really raise his stock up, up with a quality performance, especially nationally. I think locally a lot of people like Dennis, but nationally uh, most most pundits are kind of not sold on his game and sort of see him as a long-term project. If he can come into his own post a, a quality year, I think uh, people will change their minds on Schroeder throughout the season. And if, and if things go south, uh, then the people locally will change their minds in a negative way. People nationally will kind of confirm their mindset on a guy like Schroeder. 
for for this season to be great for the Atlanta Hawks, I think Howard has to buy in more than anything else. Uh, but also the team the team has to shoot the ball better. Last season, the Atlanta Hawks were uh, very very good at generating open looks from three point land uh, near the top of the league and creating uh, so called wide open looks, but they were very poor at actually converting them. Kyle Korver is now back with a vengeance after last year, after a slow start coming off of, of surgery prior to 2015-2016. Korver's a lights-out shooter, and the Hawks are going to have to uh, uh, have just more than just him in terms of guys who are going to knock down shots from the outside. Kent Bazemore, uh, Paul Mossop's a good shooter. Uh, Dennis Schroeder's not the greatest shooter in the world, but at the same time, he's uh, capable uh, at times of knocking down shots, and the Hawks are going to have to make shots in order for this season to be as good as they want it to be. Uh, in order to derail this season, I think uh, Dwight Howard, again, is the pivot point on that. If he is ugly uh, in terms of the way he plays on both ends of the court or if he has some injury concerns, Howard's missed some time with back and knee problems in the last couple of years, he could seriously derail also the culture. Uh, Dwight's sort of the first time they've taken a character risk in quite some time in Atlanta, so if he doesn't fit into things, it could go south in the locker room. And uh, also the fact that you know a couple of the rookies there with Torian Prince and DeAndre Bembry uh, if they're uh, asked to play big minutes early, which I don't think is necessarily a lock, but if they're asked to do that, if the Hawks make a uh, make a move to sort of penetrate those guys into the rotation, it's going to be interesting to see if they can sustain and things could go south in a hurry if the wing depth uh, is not improved from last season with guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Tabo Cephalosha being able to not sustain quality performance. I think most likely... This team is going to be a playoff team. Yet again, the Hawks currently have the longest playoff streak in the Eastern Conference. Um, but I don't think this is going to be a repeat of the 48-win performance they put forth a year ago. And certainly not a 60-win team like they were two years ago. I think the most likely scenario for the Hawks is, is a win total somewhere in the low 40s. And a, uh, a playoff bid, but somewhere in that 6-7 seed range is the uh, sort of the baseline scenario. I think they could certainly be better than that if Howard and Schroeder pan out. It could also be worse than that, potentially miss the playoffs if Howard and Schroeder do not work out and some of the older role players on this team who are uh, past the age of 30 kind of fall off. So the Atlanta Hawks will be very interesting this season. It's not the same concept that you've seen in recent years. And uh, for once in their lives, they will not be terribly boring in Atlanta. And that, you know, for some fans, that's a good thing. Some things, some fans, that's a bad thing, and we'll see how everything works out. And that will do it for the Atlanta Hawks. Thanks a ton, Brad. I agree. Dennis Schroeder, to me, is the biggest question mark on this team. I'm not sure he's ready to be the point guard. And you watched him with the German national team two years ago. It was really a struggle for him to lead a basketball team. What I do love about this team, though, is last year they were the number one defensive team in the NBA post-All-Star break in a dominating fashion, even better than the San Antonio Spurs. And I have a hard time they're believing they're going to lose that this year. I think Darvin Ham is an assistant to Mike Budenholzer, and this crew really understand how to play the game. I can't imagine they're going to get worse defensively with Dwight Howard. Uh, they won, you know, their expected value of 51 wins last year while only winning 48. So I think they were actually a little better than we thought they were last year. Kyle Korver had such a tough year, uh, and, and wasn't able to explode. And yet with all of that, when I run my pack numbers on this team, they're the second best offensive team in the Eastern Conference. And so suddenly I look at the Atlanta Hawks and I understand they lost their best player in Al Horford. And I understand that I'm not sure that I believe in Dennis Schroeder replacing Jeff Teague, but the data still shows me 
that this team is the second-best offensive team, even with the inefficiency of Schroeder. Part of this is, frankly, that, you know, guy, Jeff Teague is not nearly as maybe good, I think, as everyone thinks he is. Teague is a high-volume, not particularly efficient scorer. We've got a lot of point guards in this league who end up putting a lot of points on the board because they use a lot of possessions. And Jeff Teague's using 17 possessions a night uh, to score his 15.5 points a game. It's not brilliant. Uh, Truder's not brilliant either uh, in that regard, and I'm a little worried about what what Jared Jack's going to do because Jared Jack was really uh, struggled miserably uh, last year in Brooklyn. But when I run the numbers on this team, this was a huge surprise to me. They come out as the second best offensive team in the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about it. They're only behind Cleveland. You couple that with their defense, I think this team surprises with all their changes and everything they've done. A lot of people have them questioning if they're a playoff team. But when I rank the Eastern Conference, I think this has a chance to be a home court advantage, first-round playoff team again. So Brad Rowland and Locked On Hawks could have a really fun season. All right, two of our stalwarts on the Locked On Podcast Network are the Locked On Celtics guys, Jay King and John Corrales. Hey there, we are John Corrales and Jay King from the Locked On Celtics podcast, giving you a quick preview on the Celtics season. Uh, let's start, Jay, with a couple of the big storylines for this season. The big one, obviously, Al Horford, right? Yeah, Al Horford, how he fits, how much he helps, how big of an upgrade he is. Obviously, he is going to lift the Celtics in a lot of different ways, but how much? And 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 the other thing, I think, is... Can they? How how much can the Celtics challenge the Cleveland Cavaliers? Obviously, if you look at the Eastern Conference, looks like Cleveland one, Boston and Toronto two three in some order. How 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 much can the Celtics challenge the Cavaliers? I, yeah. I don't think they can beat them, but how close can they get? That that's the big thing. I mean, we've seen a little bit of Horford already, and I love what I see. I mean, I love what I see. So that should really help raise the game of a lot of guys on this team. But if you know, let's say if everyone kind of goes along and it goes the way it's been going in this preseason, part two of that, maybe it gets a little bit more likely that they'll give them a little bit of a challenge. In the end, I don't think they are good enough to get past Cleveland in a playoff series, but Al Horford really changes the game. Uh, the biggest unknown for this, Celtic, this Celtics team, something we've been talking about in our podcasts, is this backup backcourt. After Isaiah Thomas goes out, we've got Terry Rozier, a second-year player, and Marcus Smart, a third-year player who's missed a ton of time, can those guys somehow combine to run the show when Isaiah Thomas is off the off the floor? And then the other part of that is the rest of the the perimeter rotation in the second unit. It, Gerald Green, Jalen Brown, who who plays more minutes out of those two guys? How much can Jalen Brown give you? So th- there's a lot unknown to that bench, especially on the perimeter. Yeah, it, that's something that, that they're really going to have to figure out. A lot of depth on the Celtics. You hear people talking about a lot of depth. But it's how it's going to be used, and some of these guys are a little young, so lots of question marks there. Brad Stevens has a lot to work with, but a lot of work to do as well. And one of those guys, to me, Kelly Olynyk. I think when we look at who's going to change the most and who's going to be thought of differently at the end of the season, I'm looking at Kelly Olynyk, a guy that a lot of Celtics fans may be kind of looking at as a bust which I think 
that's an extreme view. But I think this could be a real breakout season for him, especially with Horford there. He's going to be a key player probably off the bench now that can really spread the floor. And if he's going to be, if he's playing well and hitting at 40% from three, then that's going to have a big impact on that thing we just talked about, that backcourt. That's going to give those guys a lot more room to operate. Yeah. My player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season is Marcus Smart. I, I think a lot of people really question his offensive abilities. I don't think he'll become an offensive star at all this season, but I think he'll continue to progress. I think he'll knock down shots at a higher rate than he did last season, which isn't asking a lot. And obviously he's just a menace defensively. So I, I, I look forward to seeing what he'll do with a, a little more playmaking responsibility now that Evan Turner is in Portland. Yeah, those really are the two guys that stand to gain the most this season. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. All right, here's the big question. If this happens, Jay, the season will be great. What do you say? I'm going with if if they can get a top 10 offense. I think their defense is going to be elite. They were a very great defense last year, forcing turnovers, getting into passing lanes, really disrupting people. Now they have Horford. It's going to be a great defense. If the offense can progress, if Horford can help, if the younger players can progress, then they could be really, really good because they're going to have a top five defense. I'm pretty confident. If they get to the top ten offense, then you're talking about now you're getting closer to contention. I don't think they're ready to contend yet. I, I, I think it's it's pretty clear they're they're probably not ready to contend, but you get closer if you have a top ten offense and defense. Yeah, I'm going to go with the defensive side, and I'm going to take it a step higher. If they have a top two or three defense, if they're at that range, because they were a good defensive, they're a really good defensive team last year. If they could take it up to top two, top three at the worst, then this season is going to be really, really great. Because that is, to me, is what's going to spur that offense. I don't think you can get to that top ten offense unless you have that elite top three defense, because that's going to get them out and running. That's going to be where Jalen Brown starts to make a real impact out in the break. That's when you get some of that chaos that these guys thrive in, those those transition threes that they love to take and make. That's going to be where the Celtics really start to shine. They'll score a lot of points if they can get a lot of stops. Okay, going to the other side of the coin, if this happens, the season will derail, Jay. I think we agree here. It has to do with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, if if he gets hurt, they they can't they can't win too many games. They'll still have a great defense. It'll probably be even better if if he gets hurt. <laughs> but they they just won't be able to score points. They haven't been able to score points with him on the bench over the past couple of years. Now they have Smart, Rozier, a lot of question marks in that second unit. So if if he's if he goes out, they they just won't be able to score enough points to to really get to where they want to go. I agree. I agree. He is he is the guy that makes this thing go the the straw that stirs the drink, as they like to say. Uh, and go. he falls a lot. He falls a lot. He takes a beating. And already this this preseason, he's gotten the quote unquote slightly sprained wrist. So the wrist issue is a big problem for me. And if that becomes a, a recurring injury, that's a shooting hand. That is going to be a real, real problem for the Celtics. To be fair, he played every game last year, so it hasn't been a big problem. Sure, but it, but it could become one. It could become one, and that's that's what we're afraid of. Uh, okay, let's finish this off without without the optimism. Let's look at it straight on. The most likely scenario for this Celtics team 
is, to me, you tell me if you disagree, low 50 wins, like 52, 53. Maybe they can creep up to 54, 55, or they get down to But I think somewhere in that 52, 53 win range, which gets them into that second or third seed, and then they can get as far as, I think, conference semifinals is a realistic goal. Conference finals is that kind of best-case scenario. Somewhat realistic, it's possible, but beyond that, you're getting way too optimistic. Yep, I'm with you on that one. That is the most likely scenario, and where the Celtics go. All right, let's see. The Celtics are going to be a player this regular season at the very least, and from the Celtics' perspective, this is a big postseason for Brad Stevens. Still hasn't won a series. This could be the year that they win at least a couple. We'll see how it goes, and you can... Find out how it goes by listening to the Locked On Celtics podcast with me, John Corrales, and him, Jay King. We are known as the Rain and Jays. Search for us, Locked On Celtics, and we hope to have you listening to the show. Those guys are just great. Locked On Celtics is a super show. Huge audience as well. I, I agree with everything they're saying uh, in a lot of, I, not everything, but pretty much everything. I, I love Kelly Olynyk. Uh, I think he'll have a much better year. Uh, I love him as the breakout player. Uh, Olynyk. We'll get more time because Jared Sellinger's gone. He's a 41% three-point shooter. He's a much better player than I think people are giving him credit for. Put a Linux and Horford on the floor together. You've got two bigs who can shoot and who can pass. Very impressive uh, group all the way around. I was surprised when I did my research. Boston just not that good an offensive team, largely because Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier are so – uh, terrible on the offensive end and such inefficient players. So if, if Rozier, who's looked much better in Salt Lake Summer League, can pick it back up a little bit, Marcus Smart gets a bit more efficient, they'll be able to roll. They don't have that great offensive play. I know Isaiah Thomas averages 20 points a game and is able to get him points when he needs to. Actually, average 22. I don't want to uh, cut the guy short. Uh, but I, I, I sometimes wonder whether they just, you know, that, that star guy, that high, crazily highly efficient guy. But with Al Horford, that pick and roll is going to be brutal as he pops. If you suddenly have a Linux space, you're playing five out with the driving power of a Marcus Smart, the driving power of an Isaiah Thomas should be good. I agree also with Jay that the defense will be terrific. They were number four in the league last year overall. I think they can be top five. I don't know if they can get to the top three he talked about. The offense getting top ten to me is going to be a more difficult concept. Their numbers come out as the sixth best offensive team in the Eastern Conference. They were better than that a year ago. Actually, I take that back. They come out as the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they were better than that a year ago. They were top ten overall offensively in the league in their efficiency. Uh, the defense really created the offense, and the defense continues to be that good. Boston's looking at a two or three seed unless Atlanta catches them. That's a home team first-round playoff. No question if everything clicks. Who knows? Maybe we're talking Eastern Conference Finals, Boston-Cleveland. It should be awesome. And speaking of awesome, how about a great night's sleep on a brilliantly manufactured mattress for much less of the price? See, the mattress business has been taking us to the cleaners for a while with high markups and expensive pricing. So Casper came in and revolutionized the master industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and all that, directly mailing it to you in a, how do they do that box? It's incredible what Casper's able to pull off. Check it out. Mattresses used to be $1,500. Not anymore because Casper changed the market. Twin size mattress from Casper, $500. Twin XL, $600. Full, $750. Queen, $850. King, $950. 
But actually, none of those are true. Because if you go to Casper.com slash locked and insert the vanity promo code locked, that's me, vanity, yeah, okay, insert the promo code locked, you get $50 off all those numbers. Why do you want to use Casper? Here's the reason why. It's completely risk-free, free delivery, free returns in the first 100 days. All right. Why am I going to like it? Because it's obsessively engineered master at those great prices. Springy latex, supportive memory foam to create the award-winning sleep surface. Just the right sink, just the right bounce. Time Magazine named him one of the best inventions of 2015, and you get it 100 nights risk-free. Casper is a sleep company, a sleep brand. Why? Because they're doing it for you to make it so that you sleep well. You can get their pillows and their breathable sheets, but the mattress is where Casper has made their name. So go to casper.com slash locked, insert the promo code locked, and find out for yourself. Made in America, Casper has revolutionized the mattress sleeping world, and you are going to be the benefactor of it next. Casper.com slash locked, promo code locked. All right, let's continue down the road. Let's check in with the Brooklyn Nets. Hello, everybody. My name is David Wurzberger. I write about the NBA for Vice Sports and also host the Locked On Nets podcast here at the Locked On Network, covering the Brooklyn Nets daily, uh, bringing news, analysis, and interviews. And the two storylines to watch with this Nets team this year, I'd have to start with their young crop. Uh, Where the Nets are right now, they don't have a lot of control over their draft picks, so they they can't exactly tank and get a top-five talent to rebuild around. So, They've been going through the D-League, going through late first round, second round picks, trying to find a diamond in the rough that that they could sort of build this team around, or at least uh, a guy they can develop into a future uh, starter. And so they they have a few guys here now, uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Karis LeVert, Chris McCullough, Isaiah Whitehead, uh, Sean Kilpatrick as well, uh, among others, so... They're going to be looking to see if any of these guys can, can blossom, really really show them something this year uh, so they can continue developing them moving forward. And that's something I think Nets fans and general NBA fans should be watching with this team. Now, the second, th- the second thing is a uh, potential Brook Lopez trade. Now, I actually covered this on the Locked on Nets podcast recently, but the way his contract is structured, only two more years, uh, the Nets should be looking to trade him this year if they want to pull some sort of assets from him, maybe a young guy, maybe a draft pick, uh, at the risk of him getting hurt and not being able to trade him or waiting until next year when he's an expiring deal and teams wouldn't really want to touch him. So definitely look out for him on the move. Trade rumors are going to be circling around him for sure. The biggest unknown has to be a couple of the... Nets young guys that, that we really haven't seen much from. First of all, uh, Chris McCullough out of Syracuse uh, came to the Nets last year uh, off a torn ACL in his last college season. So he only played a little bit, and it was his first season back from injury. And we really didn't see a lot from him that that we can sort of put down as concrete, oh, he's good at this, he's not good at this. Uh, just as a prospect in general, forget the injury, forget how much we've seen of him, He's a pretty blank slate. Uh, he has all this athleticism, and he has a great body. But we don't know how he can sort of turn that into production on the court quite yet. And there's also Karis LeVert, uh, who the Nets drafted this year. And he's coming off a foot injury as well. Uh, the Nets just had surgery on him. So we don't know when he's getting back this season and when he does get back, how much he can produce. So those two are the biggest unknowns with this team. Now, I think the player that fans are going to see differently 
at the end of the season is Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. He had a good rookie campaign uh, that was sort of sidetracked by injury. And I think because of that injury and because he was on the Nets, he didn't get a lot of attention. But this guy's going to be one of the best defenders in the league, at least one of the best perimeter defenders. He's got all this length, all this athleticism. Even when he made his rookie mistakes that rookie defenders do, he'd get back into position just because he's such a freak athletically. And so this season, hopefully if he stays healthy and, and with a coach that'll let him run and maybe get the ball in his hand, some work on his offense... I think he's going to really show out and prove he's here to stay in this league. Now, this Nets season will be great if... Listen, there's no way the Nets are going to win a meaningful amount of games here. Just looking at the roster, it's just very little chance that they could even crack 30 wins. So I think what's going to make this season is if it's a fun and exciting team to watch. Because even when the Nets were winning, even when they were making the playoffs... Uh, there wasn't a lot of hoopla around the team. It just it just didn't bring that spark. It didn't bring that energy. And now you have all these young guys to root for and, and that are going to be fun to watch, and this team's going to actually be running, pushing the pace. I think just having a net season where even if they're losing a ton of games, if they're just fun to watch, that could mean a lot to the, the team and the franchise going forward. Now, the season does have a chance to derail and that would happen if Jeremy Lin or Brooke Lopez get hurt and we've come this far into this little preview without even mentioning the two best players Lopez and Lin and without those two healthy if one of them get hurt this team will actually uh, stoop down to some really low levels as far as uh, trying to win games here we, we don't expect much to begin with but those two are the key to them being respectable in any way uh, they're going to be really good on offense together, I think. Uh, they're two good weapons there. And their backups, I, I don't think, will be able to fill the void if one of them gets hurt. So uh, I think that would be the one thing that could just destroy the net season is if one of them get hurt. But let's get down to, to what will probably happen. The likely scenario with this Nets team. I'm expecting about 20 to 25 wins. Uh, not too special. But it's going to be a fun, bad season, and there are going to be a lot of young guys to watch grow and develop. I think Lynn and Lopez are going to have a fun little chemistry going there. It's just it's a building season, and but but for once with the Nets, there are things to build on. There's a foundation, and it's going to be a fun one and a good one. And I think that's what Nets fans have to look forward to, and I think the rest of the league should uh, the rest of the league's fans should. Take a look at the Nets on lead pass once in a while. You might see some guys that could be making noise years down the line. Well, David sums it up. The Nets are not very good. At least they get a – oh, they don't get the draft pick. Boston gets that draft pick swapped with them. How about that? Uh, Brooklyn, by the way, offensively may not be as terrible as everyone thinks. They've got a lot of uh, guys that are kind of moderately efficient uh, who, you know, Brooke Lopez is actually fairly efficient. Bonyan is is – moderately efficient. Uh, Jeremy Lin is, is kind of right on average. Vasquez is really bad, but they don't have any really inefficient, terrible guys. The question they have is if you look at kind of their primary guys, they just don't have enough possession usage. Uh, it's, it's not, I'm not clear who's going to be using all of the possessions for them. I actually think this team, it's got enough veterans. It's not terrible offensively. There's much worse offensive teams out there. I, I actually think they'll be a little bit better uh, than people think along the way. You are listening to Locked On Podcast Network's NBA Preview Eastern Conference teams. Get about seven minutes or so from each of the hosts 
of our Locked On Podcast Network, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Charlotte Hornets are next up in the alphabetical order. Steve Clifford's crew is covered by our Locked On Hornets crew of Doug Branson and David Walker. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Locked On NBA is previewing each division in the NBA, and as part of that, as part of the Locked On Podcast Network, we have a few questions to answer about our team. David, we'll start with you. What's your main storyline for this season? My main storyline for this season, Doug, is the Nick Batum uh, contract, and can he quote unquote live up to it? And 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 how how long people hold that to him? I don't think he's going to magically score twenty five points a game. Uh, and that amount of money that he got paid is what a lot of people expect out of that. So mm-hmm. uh, not not that this is going to be something that hangs over the team all season, but certainly, hey, if they get out to a slow start, if they struggle, he's making a lot of money, and I think a lot of people are going to be pointing the finger at him. If, I, if it doesn't work out, you know, I'm not, I'm not mean to take that in a negative way, but no, I, I think you're right, and I think that's a perfect like national storyline. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like the storyline that could be going. I don't think it's the most season. important one. No, it was a matter of market and timing, and there's a lot of reasons that went into doing what they should have done, which they did, was give him money and keep yeah. him here. Uh, but I just think that anytime you've got somebody making, even today's NBA, you got somebody making that much money. Um, and if the team struggles, they're gonna they're gonna get some of the blame, which you know they should. He's the main cog of the team, but that's just how that's just the world we live in, Doug. That is the world we live in. So uh, my main storyline of this season will be figuring out exactly what kind of offensive team the Hornets want to be in the post Jefferson era. I can feel the think piece coming already about losing Al Jefferson and transitioning to whatever the Hornets decide they want to transition to offensively. We've already heard from Steve Clifford that this team will not initially be as good on offense as they were last season. I think a lot of that, it doesn't really have to do with three-point shooting. I think it has to do with not having that safety net that we called it the release valve of Al Jefferson. It was a safety blanket. Roy Hibbert is not that same kind of player. They're not going to be as willing to give him the ball down low. It's, it's going to be a different offense. David, what's the big unknown for the Hornets right now? The big unknown is what kind of bench production they're going to get. And you've talked a lot about this, so I may have stolen your point, but we have no idea how deep this team is going to be, who the scoring and defense is going to come from uh, on that second bench unit. We certainly don't know who the defense is going to come from at this point. Uh, we think we know who some scoring will come from, but that bench unit and what kind of what kind of support they can provide for that starting unit. Because you can just see it start to play out, Doug. The, the, the starting unit goes out there, gets a lead, or gets off to a good start, and then it you know it falls apart when that second unit comes in. And you mentioned trying to filter in Marvin, uh, Batum. Uh, certainly MKG, you would think, is probably going to be playing with the second unit some, too. So that's the biggest thing for me because the bench was such a force last year with Jeremy Lin and um, – uh, Jeremy Lamb, Jeremy Lamb, Spencer course. Hawes. Spencer I mean, Hawes. honestly, yeah, right. So uh, the bench is uh, is the big unknown for me. I think you're dead on with that. So what's the next question? The next question is: 
Douglas, what player will most likely be thought of differently at the end of the season? Differently at the end of the season. Okay, so I was going to go MKG here. It felt like the right choice. It felt like what national media would sort of uh, clamp onto immediately because, you know, he he has spent, if he stays healthy, that's going to definitely be a change storyline because he hasn't over the past couple of years. Uh, but his preseason is worrying me a bit. I, his shooting isn't there yet, and I don't know if it if it's going to get there. So I'm going to go with Kimba Walker because I think pending health, as always, we are all going to be talking about him as all-star Kimba Walker for the first time. That's my bold statement. That's my prediction. Mm. I think he gets over the hump because I think his uh, distribution is is going to be uh, well, first of all, I think he's going to get to the rim even easier than he did last season because he has Roy Hibbert in the high pick and roll. And I've already seen it. It's already more deadly. It's already more damaging than it was with uh, Al Jefferson. And so I think there's that added uh, bonus. We talked about earlier in this show that uh, his ball handling inside has gotten a lot better. I think his three-point shooting could improve, and I think his distribution improves as well because he's going to draw so much attention by midseason. He's going to have uh, many more options. Uh, so, David, I've uh, got a question here for you. Finish this sentence. If blank happens, the Hornets season will be, quote, great, unquote. Well, this one seems too easy for me, but if MKG stays healthy, this season will be, quote, unquote, great. Um, if he stays healthy, that's it. <laughs> I mean, if he stays healthy for a full season, I think that would be great in and of itself. But this team is going to need MKG's energy and his ability to change the course of a game without his shooting, without the scoring, right? That's a big part of what they missed last year at times. So I think he's such an important player, and he can guard several different positions. And, you know, we just have to hope that that shooting does come around a little bit. You're seeing the confidence. I mean, let's not forget about how, how the lack of confidence he had two years ago and how he just would not shoot anything and from the free throw line, right? So we're seeing some improvements with that already. But I think if he can just stay healthy, I don't know if he can, Doug. I, every time I watch him, I don't think he's going to get back up after one of these falls. But I think he's such a big piece of this team, especially this year with the unknowns on the bench. If he can stay healthy, they'll be they'll be in good shape. No, I think that's a good one. I think one of the big unknowns is MKG shooting because if he stays healthy but he can't shoot, how does that affect this Hornets uh, first unit offense? Because you certainly can't play four out uh, one in with an MKG that that isn't a threat from the corner three and Roy Hibbert, who isn't a threat from anywhere outside the paint. Yeah. Now, Doug, let's go the other way. Okay. If this happens, the season will derail. All right. If this happens, the season will derail. I'm going to go. I think it's easy again to go health here. If if like you, you said, the health of MKG. So I'm going to go a little bit differently. I'm going to go off the rails a little bit and say if the Hornets second unit can't shoot threes. This season derails completely because the offense uh, just simply the the offense in its entirety simply won't be able to keep up. There's no more consistent threat to score inside. Uh, again, they filtered Al Jefferson down into the bench late in the season last season. There, there's not going to be that threat inside for the second unit. There's no safety release valve anymore in Al Jefferson. They got to shoot, baby, and they got to shoot it well because they do have and and, and we've talked about it. Second unit defense. Ramon Sessions, not known as a defender. Marco Bellinelli, not known as a defender. Spencer Halls, Frank Kaminsky. You go down the line, these, this is not going to be a defensive stalwart type of lineup. You've, you've, you've got to be able to shoot. You've got to be able to outscore and hold, hold it down 
until the first unit can get back in there or you can filter some of those defenders back in there. So if this uh, if second unit can't score, uh, the Hornets going to be really in trouble. Finally, David, what's our most likely scenario for 2016-17? What's yours? And then I'll do mine. I think the most likely scenario for the Hornets is battling for that six, seven, eight spot. I mean, that just feels like where they should be slotted and where given if they stay healthy, that's where they can be slotted. And the East, you know, got better at the top. We looked at teams like the Celtics. We've seen them recently. Uh, the rest of the East, you know, it's still going to be a jostling for, to make those uh, final three spots, I think. So that's about where they will, they will end up. I think All right, my most likely scenario Hillary Clinton will be president. Jon Snow will still be the king of the North and the Hornets will win 42 games and will finish somewhere in the five to eight slot, but make the playoffs. I'm backing down a little bit on my expectations that we talked about earlier. I said they could possibly 47, 48, 50 backing down a little bit on that now, just because I'm, I'm really concerned about this second unit, especially early on. We'll have to see if they coalesce. Maybe they surprise the second here's the thing the second unit surprise last season true did not expect bench force one to be a thing right it was a thing and we talked about that right mm-hmm. the same things that were being said last year are being said this year yep. about jeremy lynn mm-hmm. well i'm a bit more optimistic about the hornets than their own show is which is good tells you that doug and david are doing a nice job on locked on hornets uh, i think that back that second unit that they're worried about comes together i also don't necessarily think that the loss of al jefferson's that big a deal he's an inefficient safety valve that they talked about early in that section uh i think he's actually a guy that is you know I think he's, they, they traded one dinosaur for another, Al Jefferson for Roy Hibbert, but at least Roy Hibbert's a, a defensive dinosaur, uh, in this league. I think, I have the Hornets as the third best offensive team in the Eastern Conference. Losing Jefferson does not hurt them at all. The talk that they had about the high pick and roll with Kemba Walker working his way into the lane with more efficiency. This is a team Steve Clifford traditionally has had them as a top 10 defensive team. They were ninth best offensive team in the league last year, which was a little bit surprising uh, that they were able to do that, but they got a bunch of three-point shooting. They should have actually more three-point shooting. Sessions will be able to penetrate. I think Bellinelli bounces back from what was a strange bad year last year in Sacramento which makes that bench even a little bit better. I'm not convinced on Kaminsky. That would probably be one of my concerns. But when you look at Charlotte and where they are, I, as I said, they come out as the third best offensive team uh, that I have in the conference right now. Uh, and so that'll be curious to me of whether or not that they – they match up. I have Atlanta two, Cleveland at one, Charlotte as the third best, and Toronto as the fourth best. And Charlotte's actually considerably ahead of them. I suspect that Charlotte battles Atlanta and Boston uh, for for three, four, five. Uh, I think Toronto holds up two. Boston clicks in, everything's right, and they and they certainly work their way up to two. So maybe they're battling Atlanta for four or five, a step ahead of what Doug and David said. One of the great mysteries is how this crazy Chicago Bull team is going to come together. Let's turn it over to Cody and Sean of Locked on Bulls. Hello, this is Sean Hyken, uh, one of the co-hosts of Locked on Bulls. With me is Cody Westerland, and we're going to preview the Chicago Bulls season for the Locked on NBA Eastern Conference preview. You can find us on Twitter at LockedOnBulls and email us at LockedOnBulls at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, too. And we are approaching the season opener. Sean, two main storylines of the season for the Bulls. What do you have? Well, I think the obvious one, Cody, is the three alphas with, you know, Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, how those three fit together. There's some questions about their on-court fit together. So far, it seems like the chemistry stuff is all fine. They're all getting along. 
But, you know, as we know, there's not a lot of shooting between those three, and Butler's the only one at this point who's really an elite defender, so I'm not really sure how they're going to fit together, but, you know, with those three personalities, it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, and I think the other storyline I would point out, and this ties into that and everything, is just Fred Hoiberg's coaching in his second year. He uh, had a disappointing first season. The Bulls missed the playoffs. Uh, after being a stalwart in the playoffs for years under Tom Thibodeau. And Fred took some criticism. Uh, He was a little shocked, I think, just from the pushback in the locker room of the sense that the players weren't listening to his message, which he admitted on multiple occasions. And in year two, uh, he's trying to get that offense of his that's a space and pace system to work with personnel that doesn't exactly fit that great because... Wade, Butler, and Rondo are not historically good three-point shooters by any means. They're below, uh, they're subpar in that regard. So the power forward job, what decision Fred makes with that, whether Nico Miritich starts and provides them shooting, or whether Taj Gibson uh, comes in with a little more defense, will be something to watch and just Fred's decision-making in all of that offense. But biggest unknown of the season, Sean? I think that's Rajon Rondo and how he fits in. He's the guy that's been praised by Hoiberg and by many different players throughout training camp as being one of the smartest players they've ever played with. Dwayne Wade said he's the best point guard he's ever played with. But the thing with Rondo is he's so smart and he sees the game two or three plays ahead of how it actually unfolds that sometimes his teammates don't really see that see it the way he sees it and they have trouble keeping up with him and he's also not a shooter at all and somebody who never really looks for his own offense so you know it's 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 going to be a little bit of an awkward fit with him and he, he just doesn't really seem like he's the right kind of point guard for Fred Hoiberg's offense but I mean again he's been drawing rave reviews in practice so I'm kind of open to the idea that maybe it'll work out if everybody else can sort of keep up with him yeah and Rondo obviously uh longtime veteran uh, the Bulls are marked by a lot of youth, though, as well. They're quick to point out. Ten players with three or fewer years of experience in the NBA. That's one a talking of, point. One of those is big man Chris Felicio uh, in his second season. And I think he's the player most likely to be thought of differently at season's end. Uh, just because fans haven't seen a whole lot of him. He played a little bit toward the end of 2015-16. Uh, more minutes, I should say and impressed, but still, he's a relative unknown to pretty much the other 29 teams in the NBA, and even to a lot of Bulls fans, Uh, but this is a guy that the organization is high on. He has mobility down low. I think he can play. strong, and they haven't had a lot of mobility in seasons past because Pau Gasol was in there, and then Joe Kim Noah was injured, Uh, so he could be a difference maker defensively for... Uh, some minutes, some stretches at a time. I don't know how much responsibility he'll get, but I think he could impress. What do you think? Uh, I think he's really good. I, I, I'm not when I say really good. I don't mean like starting caliber center. I mean like if you throw him out there for 15 to 20 minutes a night as a backup big man, I think he can give you a lot. And he's a guy that you know again he flew under the radar last year. He don't didn't really start playing until later in the season when Joakim Noah went down, but. You know, I think he's got a lot of promise, and he's going to get some time this season. Uh, you know, he's going to be competing with Bobby Portis, Taj Gibbs, and some of those guys, but I think he's going to get in there a little bit. Yeah, it's a season we don't exactly know what to expect out of the Bulls, but if X happens, the, the Bulls season will be great. Fill in the blank there. So, I mean, there's a, a bunch of different variables here. It's how well the three alphas uh, fit together, if everybody stays healthy, uh, if if... 
some of the role players, Nikola Mirotic in particular, takes a step forward in his third year. He's a guy that's been really inconsistent. Uh, Sounds like a lot of ifs. It's a lot. There's a, there's a there's a lot of ifs. I think there's a there's a scenario where the Bulls could win, you know, 44, 45 games on the kind of high end, but. You know, again, a lot of stuff is going to have to go in their favor. I will say that you know they don't have the question marks constantly of you know whether Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah can be healthy uh, since those guys aren't on the team anymore. So it's a little bit of a different vibe. But just kind of how Jimmy Butler progresses as a leader—that's another thing. You know, the kind of impact that Dwayne Wade can have at age 34. There's a lot of different factors there. But what about? How will the season go off the rails? There's a lot of ways it could go off the rails. Uh, the number one way it could go off the rails is if Fred Hoiberg's message doesn't get through to the locker room. Specifically, I think if his relationship with Rajon Rondo, which so far early in training camp uh, is terrific, if it were to... The Rondo-Hoiberg meter still at a 10. Yeah, if, if that turns into a rocky relationship, which we know have Rondo has butted heads with coaches... Uh, in past stops, including Dallas and Boston, uh, with respect to coaches and Rick Carlisle and Doc Rivers. If that doesn't work out, uh, it's a big problem because Rondo is such a fulcrum of this offense trying to make it efficient. And he is a veteran in the locker room who can, if he's upset, upset others, create a bad vibe. Again, so far, no indications of that, but it's a long season and these are pieces that don't fit together very well uh, on paper. So we got to keep an eye on that. Uh, regarding the Bulls' outcome. Most likely outcome of the season, though, Sean, what are you feeling? I think high 30s or low 40s. They could maybe compete for the 7th or 8th seed. I don't see you know, them getting much higher than that. I'm not going to put a win total on it yet, but I think they'll be in that conversation for the 7th or 8th seed with teams like... Uh, Orlando, uh, Washington, New York, you know, it'll depend on injury luck bouncing different ways, but I think they're kind of in that tier in the East. I don't know. What do you think? Just run the 42 and 40 record back like last year, just in a completely different manner. Why not? Maybe actually reestablish a little more hope. Maybe that's enough to get into the playoffs this year. It could. It could. That's uh, that's usually around the mark that you can get in. I mean, past year's Eastern Conference... Uh, sub 500 could get you in some years, so uh, I do think right there I agree with you around that battle for the eight seed and trying to get a return to the playoffs. Um, but thanks for listening. Uh, again, we're Locked On Bulls, and you can find us on Twitter at Locked On Bulls and on iTunes as well. Thanks, Sean and Cody. Sean does nice work for NBC. Cody does a lot of work in Chicago as well. Uh, I agreed with the part where they said there are a lot of if statements. <laughs> I I. I I think this team battles for the ninth, eighth playoff spot uh, with Detroit, and I, I don't, I don't think they make the playoffs. Uh, I, I just have them as just so inefficient offensively. They have those ten young guys, which I actually think probably hurts them to some extent. And then you've added players that are just chiefly inefficient players. Rajon Rondo is not a good offensive player. Dwayne Wade is not a uh, is not an efficient player anymore offensively. Really had a pretty poor year last year when you dug into it. He was great in the playoffs. Had an unbelievable series for Miami, carrying them uh, along the way. But uh, th- those are their, you know, Jimmy Butler, probably now we find out how much having those other guys on the floor helped Jimmy Butler. It's going to be a huge burden on Butler. And then Wade's your second biggest possession user. And your next two guys, Nikolai Mirchik's got to have a nice year. Rajon Rondo. I do like the addition of Robin Lopez. I think he's a much better player than people realize. And that helps him out. And in that sense, I probably say, you know, if I just look at rosters between them and Detroit, I would take them as eighth, I think. But then when I start to consider the fact that someone's got to stay healthy, Reggie Jackson's injury already pushes Detroit to nine. But over the course of the year, what do we really think Wade holds out for? And is, and if he 
doesn't go, who's taking those spots? So I'm a little worried about where Chicago stands on this. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what we know about Fred Hoiberg as a head coach to be to be really frank about it. It's been kind of a weird road. I, I thought the story about Wade yelling at all the players and Hoiberg not having to do it was strange. Uh, this was a team that, you know, last year, I didn't feel like they ever got an identity. They were middle of the pack pace of play, middle of the pack defensively, mid, below pack offensively. Uh, so maybe the comment that they're going to go 42 and 40 again uh, and and be right around there is maybe the most accurate of all. Just do it in a very, very different fashion. But I'm not – I got to say, I'm not convinced of this group, and I, I might find myself leaning a little bit toward uh, – them being out of the playoffs than in the playoffs. Chris Manning is the host of Locked on Cavaliers. That is certainly a group we are certain about. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Manning from Locked on Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. If you don't know me, I'm an editor at Fear the Sword, SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers blog, and I've written at places like Vice, Hardwood Proxism, and Fansighted. Um, if you're a big Cleveland Cavaliers fan looking for a daily podcast, Locked On Cavaliers is the show for you. Here's a sampling of what you can expect from my podcast in the form of a season preview. So here are two main storylines for the Cleveland Cavaliers this upcoming season. Number one, will they repeat? And that's obviously the most important thing here. Uh, everyone expects the Cavs to make the finals, but can they beat the Warriors? Can they take on Durant, Curry, Thompson, Draymond, and what they have going on out in Oakland? Uh, it would cement LeBron's legacy. They'll certainly be underdogs if and when they make the finals, but that is the big question about the season. That is what will define LeBron's season one way or another. That is what will define the Cavs' season one way or another. Other things will happen. Other things will matter, but nothing quite as much as that. Secondly, um, will Kyrie Irving take that big next step this year? Now, last year I gave him a lot of cut him a lot of slack because he came back from a knee injury that he suffered in the previous finals, was getting healthy all year by playing and playing through, just getting back into shape because he couldn't do much when you have a bad knee like that, and he was not himself last year. I am of the opinion that he is one of the best five point guards in the NBA. I think he can get higher. I think at some point he could be the best point guard in the NBA. I think he's ahead of guys like Wall and Lowry. I don't say that without saying I could be wrong, but that's just my take. Um, I think this is a year where Kyrie could really, really have a big year. I think LeBron's going to take some time to relax and to take some time to uh, just kind of get into the flow of things and save things for the playoffs. Kyrie can take on the mantle of lead scorer. Kyrie can do a lot of the things that they're going to ask LeBron to do. And I, I hope uh, you see a big year from Kyrie. I think that'd be the, one of the more interesting scenarios for this team. Uh, biggest unknown. Um, how much effort is this team going to play with until the playoffs start? Now, there are other concerns. Backup point guard being one. Uh, the ages of Mike Dunleavy and Richard Jefferson being one. Amon Shumpert's status as an actual player being one, J.R. Smith being one. But to me, all those will be decided in some way uh, before midseason. is going to be back at some point, probably sooner rather than later at this point. I mean, I, I expect maybe after the first couple games. But their place in the Eastern Conference is really going to be decided based on how much effort they play with in the regular season. They are definitely better than Boston. They are better than Toronto. They are better than Detroit or Indiana or Washington or whoever you think is going to be the second, third, fourth best team in the East. And I don't think it's necessarily close. If they, But that is if they play with a maximum amount of effort, if they're going to go out and try to win the East, that is what they have to do to get there. 
Um, and if they don't care, you know, they may win 54 games and finish second. But if they try, they could, the team could win 60 games, Bronco would MVP, and they could be clearly at top of the East. But we'll see. We don't know for sure yet. We don't know exactly what is coming or how much time is LeBron's going to take off, if any. Um, and again, there are other things you could talk about. There are other things that I think are unknowns. But to me, I kind of want to see how what, how they actually approach it because we know they're going to rest, but is it going to be a lackadaisical rest? Is it going to be a strategic rest where just LeBron doesn't play back-to-backs or something? Um, and how much do they push for the top seed in the East? Because that, that would be different than just straight-out resting. Um, they could still go for the East and still rest. There's a lot of nuance to this that I think we shouldn't just say LeBron's going to disappear for three weeks and they're going to finish third in the East or something like that. I just don't really think that makes a lot of sense. A player to be thought of differently, most likely be thought of differently at the end of the season. To me, that's Jordan McRae. Um, there are other guys that I think the Cavs have that are going to have interesting years. Shumpert, uh, J.R. Smith, Kyrie. But I don't think any of those guys are going to have things change this year. What they are is what they are. What they are are role players that are going to fill certain roles or they're star players that are going to keep elevating. And I think they're not really going to change in a lot of people's minds this year. Kyrie certainly could if he proves a lot of that is wrong, but um, I, I'm not sure that'll exactly happen. Jordan McRae is going to get an opportunity to play in this team as an as a off-guard, off-the-bench. Could take minutes while Jared's gone. The team loves him. They think he's an NBA player. They think he can score. Um, one way or another, I think by the end of the year, you will have a take on Jordan McRae. If this season is great, the Cavs will win the title, beating the Warriors. Um, that secures LeBron's legacy. That cements them as one of the best teams of the past couple of years. Uh, it puts LeBron in this hugely rarefied air. Two titles in Cleveland in two years, beating Oakland, beating a city that is the opposite of Cleveland, or San Francisco uh, really is the opposite of Cleveland in a lot of ways, beating a team that assembled a super team. Uh, after he won the title, after he beat them, after coming back from 3-1. That is, if everything goes great, that is what happens. There is no other alternative that I think would satisfy LeBron, satisfy the organization, satisfy that locker room. It's about the title. It's about winning big. It is about being the best team in the league. The season will derail if LeBron or Kyrie gets hurt. That is not the most, the likeliest of scenarios. Kyrie certainly has a, somewhat of an injury history, but, um, it's not something that I think is chronic. He's had things that are sort of freak injuries. I don't think he has injuries that indicate that he is going to be a guy that's just going to break down it. And maybe he does, but I don't see it there. Quite honestly, the only thing I think seeing derailing the season if if is if LeBron and Kyrie, or one of them at least, gets hurt and they lose a ball handler. Uh, they don't have a great backup point guard option, uh, and they need those guys to really engineer everything. LeBron in particular, they need him. Um, if LeBron gets hurt, it's a very different team. You have to change things. Um, and LeBron falling off, too, would sort of fall in that category. Um, the most likely scenario uh, for me, it's the Cavs again make the finals. They're going to finish atop the East by two or three games over either Boston or Toronto. My pick would be Boston. And then they'll probably lose in the finals to the Warriors. I think the Cavs have a shot against the Warriors. I think they have a better shot than anybody else in the league of beating Golden State this year. But the um, Golden State's going to be really good. The Cavs are going to have some things to figure out. And it's not as simple as this, but when you can no longer sag off Harrison Barnes because Kevin Durant is in that spot, it's a little bit more complicated to defend that team and compete against that team at a high level. Um, it would still be a successful year for the Cavs, but not quite exactly what I think they want 
or what they expect to happen this year. They want to win a title. Um, and I do think that is very possible that they do win the title again. It, to me, they're making the finals one way or another. So they're going to, at the very least, have a shot. So if you liked what you heard today, uh, thanks for listening. You can find the show on iTunes, Audio Boom, or, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Lockdown Cavs. And you can find me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Well, Chris, there's not much to add on to that. The Cavaliers are the best offensive team in the conference. They've got the best player in the league in LeBron. Does he win the MVP again? The only question on LeBron is just the amount of minutes played. I mean, traditionally, you would say that when you cross over 40,000 minutes, you really can no longer be the lead guy. And LeBron in his career is marching I mean, LeBron's going to play his thousandth regular season game already. LeBron will cross over 40,000 minutes this season, uh, pending injury. The guy's averaged in his career 39 minutes a game. So the question on Cleveland is just simply whether or not they wear out and whether LeBron still can carry the load. Kyrie's ready to take the next step, so that will give them the backing. Kevin Love can be better, but uh, the only concern is just where LeBron is physically, and we saw three of the greatest games he's ever played uh, from there. This is your NBA preview courtesy of the Locked On Podcast Network and Locked On NBA. Make sure you found your favorite team on the NBA and the NFL on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Next up on the docket, Dan Feldman and the Detroit Pistons with Locked On Pistons. Dan Feldman here. I'm the host of Locked On Pistons, a daily podcast covering the Detroit Pistons. We look at everything from the salary cap to who's going to be the third or I guess now second point guard to whether Stan Van Gundy is using uh, the right strategy on the pick and roll, everything top to bottom on the Pistons, you can check us out. We're going to go through six questions just to preview the season for the Pistons. Uh, number one, what are the two main storylines to the Pistons season? Uh, number one, can they win a playoff game? The Pistons haven't won a playoff game since 2008. They've only made two postseasons since then and were swept by the Cavaliers in the first round both times. Uh, so this would be a, a big breakthrough. Their goals are a little higher to win a, a playoff series or two, but even winning just one game, that'd be at least a sign of progress, a real show that they're competitive. Uh, they tried to make it sound like they were competitive last year while getting swept by the Cavs, and to a certain degree they were, but nothing really puts that together like a real postseason win. Uh, and then the other is, can Andre Drummond make the leap? He's got star potential, and he was a first-time All-Star last year, and in a lot of ways is a star. But can he make the leap into that next level of star where the team can depend even more on him? The biggest area that everybody's going to look at, of course, is free throws. He's an awful free throw shooter. So many of the hacker rule discussions were based around him, and there's going to be a spotlight on him there, but that's not the only thing. Uh, a far more important aspect is can he make this next step defensively? Can he cover up for his teammates? Can he look like a all-defensive team player or somebody who deserves real consideration for that? Uh, question number two, what is the biggest unknown? The biggest unknown is how the team will play and win while Reggie Jackson is hurt. Jackson is expected to miss six to eight weeks to start the season with a knee injury, and that leaves the Pistons with Ish Smith starting and either Lorenzo Brown and Ray McCallum coming off of the bench. 
If that doesn't sound ideal to you, it's because it's not. It's going to put the Pistons in a hole early. Uh, but the big question is how much of one? Can the Pistons win enough where once Jackson gets healthy, then they can rally to make the playoffs, get a better seed, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is going to be at that point. Uh, but the key is for these first 15 to 20 games or so is staying in the race, staying competitive enough where the hole is not too deep. Uh, question number three, which player is most likely to be thought of differently at the end of the season? And I think it's going to be Reggie Jackson because either he's going to come back and lift the team and improve everything. And, you know, I think he's on the track to being recognized as a better player and being a better player. Part of that is deserving it. And he took some steps last year and both deserving to be recognized as better and actually being better. And I think he can continue that. Uh, so I think that would also get really noticed if the team struggles early and he comes in and saves the day. On the other hand, if he is not ready to take that step, maybe uh, his reputation takes a hit a little bit. There was a lot of criticism of the contract he got uh, last summer. Doesn't look so bad now because of the escalating salary cap, but I do think there's some residual sentiment that, hey, this is an overpaid player, an overrated player. Uh, so if he comes in and does not turn the team's fortunes, I think that would continue and even intensify. Question number four, what would need to happen to make this season great? Uh, and I think it's two two big things. Uh, the number one is Andre Drummond taking steps defensively to where, like I said, he can be that all-defensive team type of player, at least in the discussion for it, because the Pistons only have you know one good defender behind him, and that's Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So if Drummond takes that next step, improves his awareness, improves his recognition, improves his timing, uh, improves his understanding of coverages, that could make a lot of difference and allow the Pistons to put better offensive players on the floor and keep them on the floor and have Drummond clean up for their mistakes uh, behind them. I think he has all the tools to do it. He's continued to make progress toward it during his career. And, you know, he's on the right track. The question is, will he continue to be in and how far up can he go? Uh, the other one is, do the Pistons streaky shooters, and they have a lot of streaky shooters from Reggie Jackson, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris, uh, can they knock down their open shots? There's a lot of value points there. There's a lot of value in floor spacing with that. So you hope to see, if you're the Pistons, a, a level of consistency from them, similar to last year, not a drop-off, so that wasn't a fluke. Uh, what would happen for this season to derail? And yes, the Reggie Jackson injury stings, but I would say the injury the Pistons cannot afford is to Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, because like I said, he is their dependable perimeter defender. They use him to defend a lot of point guards, to ease the burden on Reggie Jackson, and for the time being, I'm guessing they'll do something similar with Ish Smith, though Ish Smith's size being much smaller than Reggie Jackson makes it harder to flip where he's guarding some shooting guards. But sometimes the priority is just guarding a point guard. And so, you know, you have Contavious Caldwell-Pope able to do that. And then on on the offensive end, he provides a lot of value as a floor spacer. I don't think there's anybody else in the roster who can duplicate him in both of those ways. And there's also, as versatile as the Pistons are, there aren't really players who can just who are in the rotation right now who could slide comfortably to shooting guard. Stanley Johnson could do it a little bit. 
Uh, but the probably more realistic option would be bringing up Darren Hilliard or Reggie Bullock from out of the rotation, where most other injuries, at least beyond the, the Reggie Jackson one that's already happened, with most other injuries, the Pistons are so versatile in the front court that they could move guys around, slide guys up or down, and just take care of it by having really good players remaining on the court. Uh, and then lastly, the sixth and final question. What is the most likely scenario for the Pistons this season? Uh, before the year, I thought they were going to get the number four seed. It's kind of up for grabs behind the Cavaliers, Celtics, and Raptors on paper, at least, in the Eastern Conference. I thought the Pistons would lead that pack. The Reggie Jackson injury, obviously, is a is a detriment to that. Uh, so now most likely case is probably a lower playoff seed, being competitive in a first-round series without home court advantage. Uh, and whether they win that or not probably just depends on the matchup uh, and the timing of it. Uh, but this is a, a team that most likely should have a competitive first-round series, could go either way. So that's it for the Pistons. You can check out Locked on Pistons on Audio Boomer iTunes. Thank you. Well, as I said earlier, I like the Pistons. I like what they've done. I like the pieces they had. I thought they overpaid for some pieces, but they added efficient offensive players, much more than they're probably giving credit for. John Lohr is an efficient offensive player. Ish Smith is not. That's my concern. Ish Smith, for all the fun talk about him in Philadelphia, was a, does not an efficient player, one of the least good offensive players in the NBA all of last year. And so with Reggie Jackson's injury, he could really torpedo them. But Tobias Harris is a nicely efficient player. Andre Drummond's got to become more efficient. Marcus Morris should be. They have a bunch of guys that should use possessions above the league average. And then if they can get better defensively, that injury might be too much for him, though. I think Dan might be exactly right. Uh, we'll see. Maybe Chicago sneaks in. But I think Chicago's really not going to be uh, a particularly good team. I think they're really going to struggle uh, offensively. One team a lot of people really like is Indiana. Tom Lewis has been blogging for about Indiana for a long, long time on Indiana Cornrows, over 10 years, and he's now added a podcast to his mix. Here is Tom Lewis on Locked On Pacers with the Pacers preview. This is Tom Lewis, and I'm ready to preview the Indiana Pacers. By way of quick introduction, uh, I've been following the Pacers closely for the past 10 years as the uh, founder and managing editor of IndieCornrows.com. Uh, Pacers blog on the SB Nation Network, and I'm also your host for Lockdown Pacers podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network, which you can find on iTunes and Audioboom. So check us out. Um, first, uh, let's start the Pacers preview with two main storylines for the season. Uh, we have to start with new head coach Nate McMillan uh, and his effort to ramp up the offense without letting the defense slide. Um, that's what Larry Bird wants. Uh, Bird hopes the scoring average can jump to about 106 points. Um, and the team added you know, Jeff Teague, Thaddeus Young um, in the starting lineup and, and with Al Jefferson and Aaron Brooks <coughs> helping out the bench. You know, reaching that offensive goal will, um, will be much easier than uh, trying to maintain the defense. So the early preseason returns reveal uh, a pretty highly entertaining team to watch getting up and down the floor, uh, but we'll have to see if that uh, defense holds up and the change actually results in more wins. Now, the other main storyline surrounds Paul George. He's the man for the Pacers this year. Can he pick up where he left off in the playoffs last year um, and produce like that you know, more consistently throughout the year? 
the team is now he is the lead. George Hill's gone, Frank Vogel's gone, all of the teams, uh, players from those um, Eastern Conference Finals teams are gone. Um, and he sounds like he's ready to take a stronger role um, after his Olympic uh, experience this summer. But can he maintain a strong leadership? You know, how will he handle uh, the inevitable adversity that hits during the season? Um, that's been a bugaboo with this team um, over the past few years. So um, Paul George, his playing production and um, his leadership abilities are, are uh, the other main storylines to follow this year. Uh, two of the um, talking about an, an unknown going into the season, um, something that is key will be the play of Miles Turner. Um, he's a great young talent, but he's only 20 years old, and the Pacers are looking to him to anchor that defense, be the guy who can protect the rim, um, which is a key part of that team defensive um, system that uh, that Nate McMillan and, and Dan Burke uh, want the players to play. Um, also, you know, he's still going to have to be an offensive threat, um, and, and they want him to run the floor and, and help spread the floor. So um, talking to Turner, he really craves the responsibility um, for that big role. But um, he's only 20 years old, and that's, that's a big role for a, a young guy to fulfill. Um, now, the going to – Turner might be that guy that you, you think about differently at the end of the year. You know, he may burst on the scene and, and play at an all-star level. You never know. But um, the guy I think will emerge um, out, of the, out of the shadows on this team is uh, Glenn Robinson III. He's currently not even on the, on the uh, playing rotation. Uh, according to McMillan, but uh, he, he's going to get opportunities um, with certain players resting and, and just the way the games are played. And he's earning some of those opportunities now already in preseason. Um, but he is, uh, you know, the type of wing player who has skill to play both sides of the ball um, that the Pacers desperately need on this team. Um, they've got plenty of combo guards, and the only other real true wing player um, to throw out there is C.J. Miles, and and um, I, I think uh, uh, the third, as uh, Paul George refers to Glenn Robinson, um, is a, a, a bit more dynamic player uh, with with a higher upside, and and he's a guy that I think will uh, emerge, and, and Pacers fans will be thinking a lot different differently about him by the end of the year. Um, so. A couple of key things about what what has to happen uh, for the Pacers to have a great season. Um, first of all, I think Jeff Teague and Paul George need to play 80 games. Um, and if they can get Miles Turner to average 15 points, then the Pacers will be on their way to a great season. Uh, Teague's ability to create with the ball um, and push the pace and, and create for himself and others um, – is, is going to be a big part of uh, the Pacers helping their offense. And it also, you know, keeps the ball out of Paul George's hands when, and as far as him trying to create something from nothing. Um, so he can set up George to get scoring opportunities where he can get the ball and make something happen and make a play um, instead of having to create something from scratch. Um, so for the, for the team to attack, 
you know, the way they want to do it. You know, they, they need the right guys to have the ball at the right times. Um, and I think Teague and George will eventually uh, become a good combo to um, keep that attack flowing for the Pacers. Now, if things go off the rails, it's mostly going to be due to injuries. They, they do have a veteran team now, but they also have guys who have had some injury issues. Um, so, obviously, losing Paul George would, would crush the team. <laughs> but um, I, I guess one key area to look for it would be in the front court. If Miles Turner or Thaddeus Young um, had the missed games and, and that would upset the, the starting lineup and, and the front court playing rotation, um, you know, Al Jefferson is a capable player, obviously a has start, starter-level skill, um, but he's at a point in his career where um, he's ready to play a reserve role, um, and that in large part is just to keep him healthy. So um, the Pacers don't want to have to rely on him to play big minutes. Um, and really, after that, um, LaVoy Allen, Kevin Serafin, they're kind of getting thin on that front court. And um, in the current nine-man rotation, I know um, they don't want to go past Al Jefferson as far as a true big. So um, those uh, that health will obviously be uh, critical uh, to the Pacers avoiding uh, avoiding the season going down the tubes. So with um, several veteran players, you know, added to the team in the roles, you know, around Paul George. Um, Paul George is the, is the leader, and, and all these guys understand that and are coming in to help support him, which um, has been a, a good start, and it seems like the team has, has built some good chemistry. Um, and so... I, you know, I feel like they're set up to at least match last season's effort as far as wins, uh, you know, the 45 wins. Um, but again, you know, the gains on offensive end may be countered by losses on the defensive side. So um, I, I still feel like the most likely scenario for this team is a similar record to last year. So um, I'll be I'll be positive and and give them an extra win. Finishing at 46 and 36. Sorry for the sound quality. They're not as good as some of the others. I couldn't disagree with Tom Moore, actually. I I, I, I think Indiana's going to really struggle. I love Nate McMillan. He's a wonderful guy, good coach. Uh, but he's not a high-tempo coach. He never has been. That's what they want to do. Uh, Paul George is going to have to just carry this team. I mean, when you start looking at who they have, Monte Ellis, significantly inefficient player. Rodney Stuckey, inefficient. Al Jefferson, inefficient. Jeff Teague, not particularly efficient, right on league average. Aaron Brooks, inefficient. Thaddeus Lung, Kevin Chitt. All those guys are inefficient offensive players. Plus, if you add up the players, they are going to really have to dis- distribute uh, their possessions because these are all high usage players on the floor. Young, Teague, even CJ Miles when he comes in, Monte Ellis, Rodney Stuckey, these are guys that Al Jefferson, they use a huge amount of scoring opportunities. So what I, I don't see, I don't understand what Larry Bird's done there. We'll be, I'll be curious to watch it. If he's, if it works, that's something I don't understand. That would be, I don't think they have a playoff chance. Uh, they might be 10th. In the league, because of just the uh, the weakness of other teams, but I, I think there's I think Indiana's going to be a, a big surprise this year in how much uh, they truly struggle. I, I would put 
Yeah, I, I, I think they're I think they're really, really uh, going to struggle along the way. Uh, is this the best way I can say it? Tomorrow, we'll look at the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, the New York Knicks, the Orlando Magic, the 76ers, along with the Toronto Raptors. It's all coming up on tomorrow's edition of the Locked on NBA Eastern Conference Previews, Part 1 and 2. We'll have the Western Conference next week for you. Really appreciate you taking the time to tune into this whole program, and make sure you subscribe to your Locked on NBA's or Locked on NFL's favorite team, and get them every day, 15 minutes or more, your team every day.